0: Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior-level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Livingston, Global Managing Partner, Natural Resources, and Hydrogen Struggles Industrial Practice. In today's podcast, I'm speaking to Ashley Haynes Gaspar, Vice President and General Manager, Global Support with GE Digital. Today, we're going to talk about the Industrial Revolution digital version. We're going to talk about leadership and culture and business models and people and how all of these are coming together to transform the way we do business. Ashley joined GE in 1999 and grew within the organization, holding senior roles, including chief marketing officer at GE Energy, Measurement and Control, and later at GE Oil and Gas. She was also general manager software and services at GE Measurement and Control, a business involved in transforming the oil and gas industry through IoT and the next generation software and field services. Ashley, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Former Chief Executive Officer Jeff Immelt spent six years and more than $4 billion transforming 125-year-old GE into a digital industrial company. Why does this journey matter for GE and for industrial businesses in general?
1: It's a great question. And I would tell you that GE has an incredibly rich history of creating breathtaking transformational innovation that just changes lives. When you look at our history, uh, we have created these wow-inspiring moments—from the first light bulb to the first refrigerator to the first aircraft engine, the first locomotive. We just do work that matters, and we are in the midst of our greatest and most exciting transformation, I think, in our history. And we're going from, you know, being synonymous with all things big, all things equipment, to being a digital innovator, and that is a tremendous journey for us. And we're really doing that in two ways. The first is we're looking at how we're going to transform ourselves internally, how we manufacture, how we go to market, what our business models are, the experiences that our employees have when they come to work every day. And more importantly, we're looking at how we're going to transform um, our customers and industry.
0: GE is building the world's first industrial IoT platform. As someone with a strategic role in its creation and implementation, What have been some of the key surprises and challenges for you in driving a transformation this large?
1: You know, I would tell you that digital transformation, uh, the stakes are incredibly high. There was a recent study that was done that said um, it's expected that there's $32 trillion in global output that can benefit from Internet of Things solutions today. And that industry is expected to spend about $500 billion on those solutions between now and 2020. So the opportunity is huge. But the challenges are just real. I think some of the surprises um, that I've had along the way is that um, there's been a paradigm shift, I think, in how I think about leadership. You know, I I didn't used to distinguish between being a visionary leader and an innovative leader. Um, you know, a visionary leader, I think, is someone who says, here's the future, follow me to it. And an innovative leader is someone who says, uh, we're going to create the future together. And I think GE used to be a company of visionary leaders. And I think what we've done is we've done a cultural reboot to figure out how we're going to be a company of innovative leaders. And I think that's been one of our surprises. It's just been that that shift in mindset. I think some of the challenges that we're really experiencing, and I would share this for anyone going on a digital journey, is just this notion of culture and teams. And it's what they do, but it's also just as important how they do it. And I think focus becomes so incredibly important in the world of of digital transformation. Uh, And teams need to know the difference between what they could do and what they should do. And I am almost seeing a reboot and a need for extreme focus on capital allocation. Uh, So businesses are really getting after the investments that are going to deliver the highest returns for them. Because in a world of big data, in a world of analytics, in a world where there's this $32 trillion opportunity, you know, you got to figure out what you're going to get after and what you're going to be unapologetically awesome at and focus your teams there and their energy there.
0: Staying with that point, you mentioned culture and, and changing the mindset. As you move from an industrial to a digital company and you, and you clearly needed this this transformation in culture and mindset, mm-hmm. how did you go about rewiring the company's DNA? And has there been a difference in approach to how you work with GE employees at various levels and trying to make those mindset shifts and cultural shifts?
1: I think there's been a reboot on a lot of levels. Uh, I think the first is when you you begin to think about talent. Um, And I think anybody going on a digital transformation needs to do some soul searching around what's the right mix of digital migrants versus digital natives. And what I mean when I say that is, um, you know, for a digital industrial company like GE, for anybody that's in an industrial business that's going on this journey, you're going to have folks that are part of your core DNA, that know what works, that knows what, you know, won't work because they've lived it. Um, They bring that operating mindset Um, They get the potential of digital, right? And they're learning about digital. Those are your digital migrants. But you need to go out and figure out who your digital natives are and give them permission to come in and be disruptive and to challenge the system and create a space where you are protecting them from organ donor rejection, (laughs) which is a risk. When you're bringing in people with this perspective into these industrial businesses, I would tell you programmatically – you need to look at your operating principles and your beliefs, and you need to be really honest about how those need to change. And for us inside GE, we really began to focus on what we called our GE beliefs. We knew that to be successful, we had to be more customer focused. We knew that we had to bring this attitude of learning and adapting to win, right? This notion of speed, because speed matters. And know, when you're developing new products, an aircraft engine, for example, that takes a decade. You know, the world of digital and, and software, you're running in like, you know, weak sprints, that is a very different muscle you've got to figure out how to develop in your organization. And the other thing that we're really trying to focus on is just this, this innovative and entrepreneurial spirit where we really believe great ideas can come from anywhere. So one of the things that we we did around this DNA reboot was we created uh, a set of behaviors at every level of the organization, from entry level to our senior top 200. And we said, what do those behaviors look like if you are kind of a novice versus if you're an expert, best in class, across each of those areas? And it became part of how we measured, how we coached, how we trained the organization. The other thing that I would share that we did was really looking at um, how we seeded great ideas and you know inside GE we launched a program called FastWorks we brought in some entrepreneurs and residents to really help us understand how they do it in silicon valley really disrupting you know this 125 year old company and what was born out of that process was um, something that would be akin to venture capital you know employees can go to fastwork funding boards with ideas and they get Series A, Series B, Series C. And, you know, it's about documenting your leap of faith assumptions. It's about committing to what's going to come out of each each tranche of funding. Um, it's about bringing a learning posture to the everyday, which is different, creating a space where failure is okay, which is different. Um, and more importantly, you know, we talk a lot about failing fast, failing smart, you know. Oftentimes, there's, if you've got a, a new product or a new uh, service you're bringing to market, and you've allocated $10 million to it, there's some inertia and momentum that can take over, that people continue to show up and do that job, even though they may know it's not the right thing. The great thing about driving this entrepreneurial spirit, focusing on the shoulds based on these proof points, is that you can kill things quicker, right? It's a more effective use of capital, and it gives everybody with an idea and opportunity to come to the table and play.
0: That's interesting. Certainly not the GE that folks uh, have an image of, right? That's yeah. uh, That's a, that's a really interesting story. We hear a lot about Google and others who give people space and time to innovate. Sounds like you guys have, re- have really embraced that.
1: We have, we have, and what's interesting is that we're seeing innovation come from a bunch of different places. So inside GE, we have um, we have leadership development programs. One in particular focused around digital technology, and you know these are, you know, folks out of school that are coming to work every day slinging code but they're bringing that entrepreneurial mindset and not only are they bringing that to the work that they're doing they're bringing it to how the work gets done. And I had two or three individuals come to me wanting to figure out, you know, how they could be part of a bigger dialogue around mindful inclusion as an example and had some ideas around how we innovate our work culture. So this this entrepreneurial spirit we found started with this notion of, you know, products and markets and customers and really transforming the world through what we take to market, but what we're finding is that it's infectious and there's a ripple effect and people are applying it not only to um, to what they're doing but to how they're doing it. And we think that's really awesome. People are architecting a place they wanna be a part of.
0: So that, that generates a, a thought for me and a question When we think about developing leaders, a a big um, unwritten thing that helps leaders develop is mentoring. Mm -hmm. Mentoring is often from having folks who are more senior than you, more experienced than you, who've been on a journey that you're about to embark on and help you guide you through that journey, right? Act as that sounding board. GE, however, is transforming itself into a company it never was before. Leaders who have to learn all new behaviors, all new cultural norms that you, you articulated to us. How are you creating that opportunity for mentoring for folks coming into GE, either at that entry level you talked about or even mid-career, when as they look up into the organization, they may not always see those folks that have been on this journey that, that you've just embarked on over these last few years?
1: Yeah. So one of the hats that I wear inside the company is I'm the leader of the Women's Network for the Western Region of the United States, and I also happen to lead it for our digital, our digital business here in the Bay Area. And we have created these connection circles. Um, and connection circles are spaces where we connect ten to fifteen women, as an example, with executive an executive leader. They meet monthly, they meet quarterly. They determine, you know, their frequency. but that's really a space for leaders to listen for leaders to contribute. And I I think what's really interesting is there's this notion of mentoring, which we have really well-structured programs around. But what I found has emerged through those experiences for me, Mark, is this notion of reverse mentoring, right? I am a digital migrant. I am not a digital native. And some of these folks, these incredible talents that we're hiring in with five, 10, 15 years experience from the outside have spent their entire lives in software. I have things I can learn from them. So I think what's important when you think about mentoring um, and a culture that is one of innovation is that it goes two ways, and you can learn something from everybody. So it's how do you not just create space for, for people coming in to say, I want to be like that leader, and how do they help me on the journey? But for leaders to be able to look at the talent and say, I got some things to learn, and I'm going to be really candid and, and humble about that, and I'm going to go figure that out.
0: What has been the impact of GE's digitalization on its relationship and business model with its customers?
1: I would tell you that from my perspective, I think our customers see a very different GE showing up to the table. Um, I've been with a company almost 20 years, and I've been through a series of leadership transition changes, um, you know, from Jack to Jeff and now to John. And I would tell you one of the things that, um, that happens when you're a big company like GE that has the staying power, you know, that we do, is that we tended to go to the market and say, we have this great product, buy it. Right, and we would get market share for that, and we would get price for that, and we would get margin for that. But we've recognized that over you know the past five to ten years, the world has really shifted, uh, particularly in the digital space, where customers have lots of options, and the spate of innovation is just so different. And what we've really pivoted to is this moment of an outcome. So we don't start with what we have in the bag to sell. We start with just help us understand where you're struggling. And I would tell you that there are two areas that we hear repeatedly from our customers, particularly in the industrial space. I think the first thing that we hear um, is, you know, what, what I would call the three most powerful words, which aren't I love you <laughs> to digital or industrial companies. It's no unplanned downtime, right? So when you, look at, uh, when you look at companies like oil and gas companies, we take that for as an example. You know, a, a liquefied natural gas plant on average experiences five unplanned down days a year. And each unplanned down day is $25 million. That is a very real financial outcome that you can orient around, right? And what that does for customers is it helps us show up and say, let us go affect that. Let us go help solve that problem for you. And what it does internally for our teams, Mark, is it gives us focus. It goes back to this discussion around the should and could right? It aligns you against what really matters and will move the needle for customers. Because what we've learned over time is that selling doesn't help helping sells. And how do we change the body posture commercially in terms of how we go to market and partner with our customers?
0: What's the next thing that you're excited about? What's going to move the needle in the next five to 10 years?
1: It's this notion of code halos. So you know, I think about what we see in Hollywood, what we see in our consumer lives is also uh, an indicator of what's to come in the industrial space. You know, and there's usually a, a five-year buffer, I think, <laughs> as, as the industry catches up and figures out what it means to them. But if I think about my, my personal experience on Amazon. You know, I walk around with a code Halo every day. They know that um, they know more than my demographics. They know psychographics about me. Right. They know that uh, on any given day, I can be listening uh, to Hamilton, to Metallica, to Dr. Dre. They know that I have an unhealthy obsession with black iced teas from Starbucks. And they know that uh, I bought a uh, unicorn outfit for Halloween on Amazon. And what what's interesting about knowing all of those things is that psychographically, they get me so that when I see my ads on Google or I see my ads on Amazon, nine times out of 10, I'm clicking through because of those algorithms because they know they know me. They know what I want. They know what I need. They know how I think. They know what I'm likely to do next. And when I think about this $32 trillion opportunity in industry, like wouldn't it be really interesting if we thought about Code Halo's for operators, so in heavy industry, we're seeing a tremendous, um, a tremendous depletion. Frankly, in expertise, people are retiring, people are leaving, particularly in the power downturns that we've seen in the oil and gas downturns. And when those folks leave, you have thirty and forty years of experience walking out the door. And I was in a conversation with a, a major oil and gas uh, producer. And what was really interesting is they had a series of LNG facilities around the world, and each of them operated as separate individual P&Ls. And each operator would operate that plant differently based on their body of experience. And what was really interesting was that there was a gentleman that was getting ready to retire who um, had the most productive LNG facility, arguably not only in their enterprise, but around the globe. And the question is, how how do you think about cloning that expertise where you're democratizing knowledge in a way that not only makes everybody better, but does it in a personal way based on past decisions. So if I think about, you know, an an operator of a power plant or an LNG facility, an offshore oil rig, you know, you can begin to understand things about their choices, about how they run, how proactive are they versus how reactive are they. And if you could use that intelligence and AI to help draft and supplement the choices that they make almost in that psychographic model type of way. I think that that gets really, really exciting in terms of how you really help drive better outcomes for customers.
0: I think the other part of that that's really fascinating, we talk about the great crew change all the time in Houston in oil and gas in chemicals in power, is how do you use those same tools and those same knowledge capture capabilities you're discussing to accelerate the development on a talent learning platform? Because you can put the tools in place but you have to accelerate the judgment development because it's still judgment at some level and so yeah it's a very interesting topic area and one that clearly has to happen sooner than later because you're right th- this wave of retirement's happening now it's it's not happening in 5 years
1: yeah i think that's really interesting you know one of the questions you asked me earlier is how what's GE's impact of digitization been on its relationship with business model and customers and i think one of the areas has been around outcomes. The other area has been this point mark around culture and getting people to use the tools and how do you make people smarter and how do you democratize the knowledge, especially with a millennial workforce coming in that doesn't have it. And I just think digitization has such a huge role to play. But what underscores everything is the culture and creating a space where people feel safe to be able to try and to experiment and to do new things and to learn and to bring that posture to every day.
0: Super. There will have been many lessons throughout your career on how best to incubate and support innovation. What's one that stands out for you?
1: I would tell you that one of the most powerful leadership stories that I could tell was of our prior chairman and CEO, Jeff Emelt. And, you know, in in our father's GE, um, you know, we were were risk mitigators. Um, And oftentimes there could be a body posture in meetings where you know, somebody would come with an idea and you would really want to understand from a place of genuine authenticity, you know, have you considered this risk? How are you going to defray it? Have you thought about this? What are you going to do about that? And it was this um, it was this posture that I think came into almost every discussion. And I was in a review with our our former chairman and CEO, Jeff, in the very, very early days of digital. We had probably been at this maybe a hot minute. And we had this wonderful opportunity with a customer to go transform their industry. And I, I brought it to the table. And my good GE training said I needed to talk about the risks. I needed to, I needed to tell him I thought about it. And here's what we were going to do, even though it was new. Like, I'm, I'm still bringing my, my <laughs> GE-ness to the table. And, you know, as I as I started to talk about the risks, Jeff looked at me and he just said, Ashley, stop. Okay. And I stopped. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go slay the bison and I want you to bring it back to the village and the villagers will figure out what to do with it. And he made that comment in front of probably 40 to 50 people, senior senior leaders in the organization. And in that moment, Jeff chose what kind of leader he was. And he realized in order to get GE to really embrace this digital industrial, to embrace a different way of working, to embrace entrepreneurship and speed, he had to lead differently. Because 30 years of his training would have said, what are the risks, right? But he knew he had to show up that, that way to create space for leaders to lead differently as well. And I think one of the things that I've really learned about leadership and how leaders can support innovation is that you have to be willing to look in the mirror and recognize what you did yesterday may not be what the organization needs from you today, may not be what the board needs from you today. And you have to show up differently. And you've got to be willing to do the hard work of personal change to really drive meaningful transformation in the organizations, because your teams draft off your body posture every day.
0: That's a great example. And it's interesting, you mentioned it earlier, then goes on and creates GE Ventures. And I remember talking to Sue Siegel and others when that was being created. And What a different model, trying to take the lessons learned from Eastman, from Intel, from all the companies that had created venturing organizations, um, and and do it differently, right? Like you said, don't do it the same way. Even when creating a venture group, don't do it the same way other industrial companies like Eastman Chemical, BASF, and others had done. Uh, So interesting. Any other key lessons, Ashley, that you'd care to pass along?
1: I think the key lesson that I would share with folks is that when you're going on a, a digital transformation journey, it can be very easy to focus on the technology. How can we use technology? Um, How can it affect our business? And I think focus is one of the most important things anybody going on a journey can have. Um, I think it's one of the things that Silicon Valley gets right in their funding rounds. Like when you're a startup and you're cash strapped You know, you got to pick the one thing. And oftentimes the technology associated with digital transformation is so sexy, people want to go do 10 or 15 things. And I think, you know, this is just an example of doing one thing and doing it well to start is one of the key lessons I've learned.
0: This has been tremendously interesting, and I wish we could keep going. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Ashley, uh, for joining us today. And thank you for the insights as well.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you, Mark.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hydric & Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app and if you're listening via linkedin twitter or youtube why not share this with your connections until next time